0: Hello welcome to this BMJ podcast about well-being. In this episode we'll be thinking about practical ways that we can help clinicians who are working on the front line right now. I'm Abby Rimmer, careers editor of the BMJ with an interest in well-being. And I'm
1: Kat Chatfield, a trained GP with an interest in quality and patient safety. Abby and I co-lead the BMJ's work on well-being which is a major concern for healthcare professionals during this COVID-19 pandemic. In our last episode, we talked to a military medic who had worked on British campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he compared his experience in a war zone to the current situation in UK hospitals. In light of this and the huge pressures people are under, how can we support NHS staff at this really, really challenging time? We're going to be speaking to a junior doctor today who's been trying to do what she can to help.
0: I'm really looking forward to speaking to Josie, actually, because I know that she's done lots of different practical things in an attempt to kind of help support her fellow junior doctors. So I think we'll speak to her about this supply box that she's put together, things that junior doctors who are working long hours might need. But I know she's also done other things in her workplace. And although they might be sort of simple things, Kat, you know, like having a box that's got snacks and deodorants and stuff in, I do think they could probably be helpful for people. Oh, hugely helpful. I mean, it's a
1: long time now since I was a junior doctor, but I remember, you know, on a night shift, you knew there was this one vending machine somewhere in the hospital where you could go and and get a, you know, can of Busy pop or something, um, but you you had to find this fifteen minute slot in your shift where you could get all the way from where you were based to this remote corner of the hospital and it was a complete nightmare um, and we know that it's so important um, for your well being and your performance to be well hydrated to have good nourishing food to have rest, and yet so often
0: the spaces in which clinicians
1: are working are just not set up for that at all
0: absolutely and I think it'd be nice to hear from Josie as well a bit about the importance of spaces that doctors can use you know to take a break i know that she was quite influential in pushing forward the agenda on the fatigue and facilities charter from the bma in wales where she trains so i think it'd be really nice to speak to her about that and maybe we can ask her as well what people who aren't in hospital settings so gps can do to make sure they can get breaks as well yeah absolutely
1: and i think what's really nice is that we've been campaigning on this issue for quite a long time around you know um give us a break and having doctors Uh, having doctors and all healthcare staff being given the facilities and and the resources they need to have good quality breaks, not just a break, but a good quality break. Um, And I think what's kind of fascinating is how rapidly suddenly all of this has happened in the light of COVID and people have really woken up to the fact that this is important and it needs to be invested in and supported. So I think that's something positive that's come out of all of this.
0: Absolutely. So we're delighted to have on the podcast someone who's taken it upon herself to, to do something practical, and try and improve her colleagues well-being
2: my name is Josie Cheatham I am a junior doctor currently working and training in South East Wales I have just recently changed my training program so I've just moved from anaesthetics into general practice which is quite an interesting time to move into general practice Um, so I'm actually in a
1: surgery at the moment during COVID-19 Thanks and Josie, what's it what's it like working on the front line right now?
2: I think it's it's very challenging and also very interesting because we're seeing a lot of um, change very, very quickly. Um, And I think it's staggering the way that everyone is really working together across the kind of barriers and and silos that sometimes we are challenged by um, and really driving innovation at an incredible pace um, with the forefront of our minds of of kind of delivering really safe, high-quality patient care. And I think the other side to that is also... Um, It's just been wonderful to see how supportive everyone is of each other and that's not just within the healthcare community, it's also um, the public. It's just been fantastic and I think it's really buoyed everyone up um, in healthcare in terms of the kind of um, things that we've seen from the public. Um, Not just the kind of clap for carers and so forth, but the tiny little gifts and the thank yous and and everyone has just been so considerate. But I think it's really quite um, challenging clinically because we're dealing with something that's just so novel um, and it doesn't have the kind of patterns and trends that you would um, kind of extrapolate to another type of respiratory virus that we're more familiar with. Um, so I think we're almost having to share the uncertainty with with patients and the public and ourselves. Um, so it's, it's quite a... It's, it's a singular time really for actually um, managing ourselves as well as um, kind of delivering good clinical care as well that kind of uncertainty and doing our best
1: job and what do you hear from colleagues who are working in hospitals or you know for colleagues from your previous training program what's that like right now
2: i think that there's been a period of almost taking it in so taking in all the changes because it's been so fast um i think everyone has been very malleable very very flexible um i think it's been a time of great concern I think not only for themselves and their patients but also for their colleagues um, and it's it's really kind of sharpened everyone's emotions in terms of the need to care for each other the need to learn and faster than we've ever learned before to really um, look after our patients as, as best possible. There's also a sense of almost an Uh, an an unseen threat because we're in hospitals we're in GP practices and the thing that's actually causing the illness we just can't see and we don't necessarily know how to prevent or avoid at the moment so it's actually dealing with that level of um, threat as it were whilst trying to to do our
0: best clinically. Josie you talked there about caring for colleagues you put together a supply box i think for junior doctors at your hospital can you tell us a bit more about why you did that yeah so um this box
2: actually was spawned from from observing my colleagues experiences in It was the very early spring of 2018 when I was actually working in an accident emergency department um, in my my closest hospital. So it's only two miles away from me, fortunately. And it was during the really high snowfall. um, So there were really, really um, deep drifts everywhere. And what happened was a lot of my colleagues were either managed to get into their jobs initially and then couldn't go home. And many of them live about 20, 30, 40 miles away, especially if they were on training rotations, um, or they were brought in by SUVs um, from the health boards. But then they weren't able to get back to their ha- their homes, and they actually ended up staying um, in the hospitals for two, three days at a time. Sometimes a little bit more than that, especially in in further away sites. Um, really, without anything. Um, so it's the real basic needs that they didn't have. Um, and that really planted the seed in my in my brain. Um, and then just observing, because I've done a number of night shifts in different departments, the kind of thing, the situation, so finishing a night shift, a colleague not really feeling safe enough to travel home, but really, really wanting to get home because they just wanted a shower with a nice shower gel and, and kind of just feeling clean. Um, and I just thought, couldn't we lower the, the threshold to staying on that, you know, being on site is a nicer experience. And given that trusts and health boards are working so hard at the moment to develop new facilities and and rest sites um, for kind of sleeping between shifts, couldn't this just be an added extra? And it would also show that we're really valuing each other and recognising that we have basic human needs too. So I basically sat down and thought, what would I need and what would a male need to um, feel nice and clean and looked after between shifts? Um, So I drew up a list and then um, thought, why not? And so I bought a box and just created it and put it in the doctor's mass um, as as a kind of pilot. Um, but what's happened really is it's taken off um, since the COVID nineteen um, and pandemic started. Really, when I started talking about it more widely, um, and also contacted the local um, staff there to let them know about the box, and they've brought it out. Um, and so I think what 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 I'm really getting now is that people are saying that this is what's needed. Um, you know that they're incredibly appreciative of it, and that kind of it it really hits something about the values and feeling as if they belong in that community and they're cared for.
1: So Josie what exactly are in your boxes? So I kept um,
2: the two types of boxes separate just because when I brought in the sanitary on-site protection boxes um, I got some feedback and was very mindful of the the kind of um, the need to kind of preserve the dignity. So staff have a choice of where they want to put that box um, in case they don't want it very visible. So that box has a range of different absorbencies as sanitary towels, um, uh, tampons and panty liners because shifts um, are very long and menstrual cycles change a lot with, with kind of very long shift patterns and night shifts and so forth. Then the two tired-to-travel home boxes um, essentially are categorized between um, what a male and what a female uh, person would need overnight. So we have some kind of similar things. So toothpaste, toothbrushes, mouthwash, um, male and female shower gels. Um, shampoos, conditioners, and uh, we have male razors, of course, because they need the, they can't have beards at the moment, and shaving cream. We've got um, eye masks and earplugs so that they can have good quality rest at work. Um, we've got some lovely lavender bo- body lotion that's been donated by a local lavender farm, which is wonderful. Um, kind of along tho- those lines, so. Hopefully, anything that you would really need um, to get you through a, 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 um, a kind of between a shift. Oh, and also deodorant. We can't forget deodorant, especially when you're in PPE. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Has the kind of PPE wearing made you add things to the boxes that you didn't have before?
2: Yeah so actually shaving um, cream and razors I put in um, and then also I've really been looking into whether I can get some emollient cream or something like that. my budget at the moment is kind of, I'm still looking at whether I can afford the, the emollient for the 30 boxes, but people are kind of having to use a lot of um, kind of astringent things on their hands and also the PPE, the masks are really digging into people's noses and so forth. So that's
0: something I'm thinking of putting into the boxes, hopefully, yeah. So Josie, how are these boxes funded and what's the kind of long-term plan for their funding? when I
2: kind of floated the concept on Twitter at the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, I think I was trying to do it as a way I could really, see, I don't know about you, but I could really feel there was almost this palpable, really raw anxiety and sense of helplessness, both in the public and the, the clinical community. And I, I was trying to think of ways that how how i in that position would feel empowered and it's something about being able to create something that means and ha- means something to someone and helps them i really kind of thought possibly floating this idea might pe- make people feel that they could do something then rather than just waiting for their patients to to kind of hit the the a&es and the itus and it was really great to see on Twitter, actually, because so many people seemed to, um, I don't know whether you saw the threads, but lots of people were really interested in it. And then gradually over the next few weeks, people kind of retweeted back with the boxes that they created themselves. And how do the boxes get restocked, Josie? Mm. So I've actually been exploring this because my my initial concept was to start start up the project and then kind of almost encouraged the community, so the staff community, and hopefully the employers themselves as well, to kind of join together and help restock it themselves and make it their own. So think about what they really want and need and maybe add additional items um, or change what they want in the box. Um, so then I thought it could almost transform into a symbol of how we value each other as a community. So that was my original concept, almost just kind of planting the seed and then hoping it to encourage it. Because with the SOS box pilot, I self-financed that for 18 months. Um, And then the the too tired to travel home box, I obviously started it up myself. So it was a a little bit of a challenge in terms of the outlay, particularly for the T4H box. So as I realized there was a limited amount I on myself could do, but I think like with anything, it works better with a team. I think it's, it's had quite a powerful effect and some of the emails that I've had and communications have just just been really pure kind of human emotion which has been really, really, I mean I I didn't look for it but it's just been wonderful to observe that you, know, you can have the power to do something like that and we can do that as a community um, which is part of the vision that I've had is that spreading the word so this has popped up in other places in the UK now And I think some people had started different variances on the idea already anyway, but it's great to see it as a kind of community effort where
1: we're all all contributing and we're all valuing each other. And speaking about that sort of valuing each other, um, some doctors we've heard from maybe feel a bit guilty that they're not out there on the front line or you know in a hot hub or in a hospital, um, or they can't work because of their own health problems. are there practical things that you think people can do as a healthcare community to support their colleagues' wellbeing apart from the box?
2: Yeah, I, I think there are just so many things that we can do as as a community, community and as individuals. Um, I think often we're quite aspirational and we try to think big and think new, but actually the, there are so many basic things that we can do in terms of recognising that we're human. Um, so, for instance, being there for each other. So um, I love the concept that's going around at the moment about not just asking, are you OK once, but asking, are you, are you OK twice? And then pausing, kind of giving someone that space to actually kind of share how they're feeling. Um Something I also I've also done because I'm I've shared a little bit of that guilt because I've gone from being in an anaesthetic intensive care environment, and um, and before that in acute medicine and an accident emergency going into a GP. Um, practice is that I have felt at times that I should be there kind of helping people in extremis and um, you know with respiratory failure and things like that and hearing a lot of my colleagues talk about the challenges that they're having on intensive care units and one of the things that I, I kind of sat down and thought to myself how can I help my friends and my colleagues the most So there are a couple of things that I've done in that I've almost created a bank of photos of really nice places that I've been to in the world. Or really silly videos of my cat doing really ridiculous things that just are so basic and humor but so funny. Um, and when my friends when i can sense that my friends have had a really hard long set of shifts or something like that or then send them a photo or a video or something like that completely distinct and separate from w- what they're going through at the moment um almost to give them a bit of perspective um Another thing that I've um, offered to do is that um, because I have quite a lot of evenings free because I'm no longer doing the long on calls in my practice based job, I've offered to go and buy groceries or do shoppings or shopping or errands for colleagues um, so that if they're doing long on calls I can just drop it in their back garden or something like that. I think really there there are just so many different things that we can do and and kind of just showing that we're there for each other in a community um almost even just knowing where to signpost people so it really really is okay if you're not okay or even if you're worries about something that isn't to do with life and death decisions but it's to do with for instance your training progression or that you miss you've missed a holiday and you're worried about your your insurance coming through kind of saying that it's okay To be worried about those kind of things and not just, you know, the the patients that we're caring for and how this is going to pan out. So I I think it's just the basics, really, and reminding people to take time out, quality time out. So when they get home from work, kind of saying, are you going to do something quality with your time away from work and um, so for instance kind of baking or, or going for a walk because I think sometimes some people kind of want to come home and just forget about everything but just curl up in bed or something like that and it's it's kind of just really being there and, and being that that reminder.
0: Josie you touched on this before um, but it feels like during this time of crisis that employers are starting to realise more the importance of looking after their staff's well-being and I just wondered if you think that that will continue once this sort of crisis is over.
2: I really do hope so because I think employers were, were recognising this before COVID-19 um, kind of really came to the fore and I think there's there's just such a lot of research going on that's showing that how staff are valued and how rested they are and how motivated and engaged they are in their workplaces has a huge effect on how they deliver patient care and the sustainability with which they can do that. And I think that this is such a key example, this period, because uh, we've got lots of staff that are sadly off on sick and some unfortunately are no longer with us. Um, and we've got a lot of rotor gaps, we've got far more um, work to deal with at the moment, and everyone needs to be very um, on point and thinking very clearly all the time, and therefore I think that the dots are really, really connecting in terms of to be able to do that and to work hard, but work cleverly as well. You need to focus on rest and, and kind of recognising that humans are great tools in our kind of clinical care, but they're humans as well. So almost a little bit like an anaesthetic machine, they need servicing, they need rest they need replenishing and things like that but more than that they need their kind of emotional needs met as well and that kind of is part and parcel with things like the the box that I created in that I hope it's not just a practical intervention it's something that carries emotional weight and demonstrates to, to um, staff that they're they're really valued um, and kind of promoting their well-being and also this sense of community because we really are pack animals aren't we so i re- i'm really optimistic that this will be kind of a sea change in terms of how how we're going to go forward from thence on
1: yeah Thanks, Josie. And you mentioned this kind of feeling valued and a lot of uh, companies have made very high profile donations to the NHS, of, you know, sofas and all sorts. Do you think those actually help people's wellbeing?
2: I think it does. I
1: think it probably helps people's
2: wellbeing more than um, perhaps some people might realise because it's, it's, again, it's a symbolic um, gesture. It's the thought behind um, a donation. So someone's actually gone to the effort of recognising that they are valuing staff um, and that they want to give something to them. Um, and they're actually kind of giving up some of their profit in terms of donating. And I think often the dono- donations that we're seeing, they're really relating to things that, that matter a lot. and carry a constant reminder so I've seen a lot of things like coffee machines um, donated which might seem quite a t- trivial donation but actually um, coffee is so important to so many clinicians and it's there all the time it's sitting in kind of a staff kitchen somewhere and anytime someone uses it they know that someone else an organization has thought about them and appreciated what they're doing they're behind them as well and um, really kind of cheering them on so at three or four 4 a.m. in the morning, perhaps when they've just done something really, really tough, had to make a really difficult decision. They've got that reminder. Also things like um the I know that there's been quite a lot of um questions and discussion about donations in terms of food and and, and kind of balancing up the the kind of pros and cons of that because of course we do have people in real need in terms of and food banks are really struggling at the moment. And I'm not quite sure what the solution is to that, but I know from from hearing from colleagues that food donations are being immensely appreciated because often they arrive during handovers, which is a really a time of the the kind of um, shift that's leaving, a shift of staff that's leaving. Uh, sometimes you can feel quite deflated and very reflective. And then there's the staff that are starting, they might feel apprehensive and so forth. And it's just these little boosts. And it just, it's just part and parcel of just feeling that we're really supported at the moment and everyone's behind us when we're, we're dealing with something that's so unknown and we don't, as I said, we don't know where the threat is and how things
0: are going to pan out. It's a great comfort. Josie, you've given some really nice examples of how people can try and help support doctors' well-being, But I just wonder if there was one thing you think that doctors sort of really need the most at the moment, what that would be.
2: So, I I think something I'm really conscious about at the moment is that um, there's such a need for doctors to be working hard um, and to be, to kind of cover shifts and so forth. But what I really think and I hope is being recognised now is the need for rest. So doctors still need their breaks uh, and all healthcare staff, they need their breaks and they need good quality breaks. So complete time out during their shifts. So I love the rooms that I've been seeing on social media and the the photographs of the Novid rooms and things like that, where Covid is a completely restricted item on what goes on in that room. That's fantastic. But also making sure that when when shifts are supposed to finish, that they do finish and then giving staff the time to go home and rest and recuperate because that's so important in the kind of healing process and coming to terms mentally with what's going on. I think also some of the the rotors um, that have been rewritten, I think we have to be quite mindful about the fact that, that doctors are humans and that they do need their quality time off away from these situations to carry on sustainably and also maintain their own mental and physical health. So I think that that's something that still needs a little bit of work on. I think we're getting there. I think now we've gone through that stage of realising that we're facing something so challenging and um, contingency planning. And, and now we've kind of almost bedded in with the infection, with the virus. Um, I think that now we're kind of starting to take a step back and, and realise about all of these things. But I think that that's probably something still that's really important. I suppose if it's okay, the, the other thing that I think is really important for doctors well and all staff wellbeing actually at the moment is to know that their colleagues are safe. So we do have um, quite a lot of healthcare workers who who are living alone at the moment, whether by their own choice or they may be protecting family members who are vulnerable, so they're staying away from home, or maybe their families are abroad because they've come over here to work and learn. And I think there is a growing concern among my colleagues that if um, we do catch the infection, there are a certain percentage of people who can deteriorate quite quickly at home and quite silently unless you have someone there watching you and picking up, especially when you're quite quite stoical as a, as a healthcare worker. So I think something that's actually starting to be realised now is the need to check in with staff every day when they're off with suspected symptoms of COVID-19, just for that peace of mind of knowing that staff are okay. Um, so I guess those are my two, the two points that I'm thinking about at the moment that probably need focus.
0: Just on the on the um, checking in with staff, or not there. Is it employers who are doing the sort of checking in?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, I just know of a couple of um, case examples at the moment, but it sounds like what they've done is they've created a team of staff who work, um, I think it's seven days a week, um, all through the the kind of working day. And they will either phone up um, staff that they know are off with, um, on leave with suspected COVID-19 or confirmed COVID-19. Um, And they will check in once a day, either um, phoning them or texting them to make sure that they're okay. Um, I've also heard certainly of one site where if they know that someone's isolating alone, if they're having trouble finding food and so forth, that they're arranging for food to be delivered. And I just think that's wonderful. It's such a kind of um, it's a human gesture, isn't it? It's caring for each other.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. And it kind of feels like what we were lacking maybe Prior to this, you know, employers acting like they cared about their staff as individuals. So that sounds like a really nice thing. Josie, the work that you've done, especially with putting together these supply boxes, is really impressive. What would you say to someone who wanted to do something similar?
2: I would say to them,
0: dream big, think aspirationally
2: anything really is possible so my single box that I put into a hospital a year and a half ago I now have 60 boxes ready and waiting two of the same supplies so an amalgamation of two different boxes that I put in place so my two tired to dry, um, travel home boxes and my um, sanitary protection on site boxes I've got them all sitting downstairs waiting to be sent out to delivery to each AE and and I Department in Wales, and hopefully um, some of the field hospitals in Wales um, for all staff, and that's a, from a mixture of kind donations from the public and also from some local and some UK level organisations, um, so a charity and a couple of companies. And it really is possible, and I, I've done that myself. Because it's been very difficult with lockdown and social distancing, so many people have wanted to help me, but it's been very, very difficult to because of the social distancing. And really, I'm not a remarkable person, so if one person can do this, you really can do anything that you want to do, um, and it will make a big difference, so just go for it.
0: So that was brilliant. I thought um, speaking to Josie was really interesting. The work that she's done with the boxes is fantastic. And she also had some really good advice on kind of other ways that people can feel helpful and support their colleagues.
1: Yeah, and I like the point that you know if you've got an idea and you think it's going to help then it's a really um fertile environment right now to make things happen and you can just go for it um it reminded me when we were talking in the student podcast in sharp scratch about um the healthship app that some students have developed which is um health students helping in pandemics so this is medical students who've developed an app to put healthcare staff um in touch with medical students who want to help and support them through things like childcare or dog walking or food delivery um Um, And there's just so many kind of great initiatives out there and ways in which healthcare staff can be looked after and supported by the wider community. Um, I think it's just go out and find them. And if you find a gap, then make it happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like Josie said, isn't it? Sort of dream big and just go for it. But also think about the simple things too. you know, make sure you have a rest, share silly cat videos, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was great. Absolutely. I love the idea of a kind of
1: cat video delivery service, <laughs> on demand funny videos for when you've had a really tough day. Ah, and on that note, I think that's probably all we have time for today.
0: Uh, thanks so much to our guest, Josie Cheatham, for coming on the podcast. Check us out on social media. We're at BMJ underscore latest on Twitter, or you can join the BMJ Wellbeing Group on Facebook. We'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover in future episodes. Until next time, it's goodbye from us. Bye.